back to the Let's Have a Drink podcast. My name is Cam. I'm going to be your bartender today. My guest at the bar today is Hunter. Yes. Hello. 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 Thank you so much for having Absolutely. me. Absolutely. What are we drinking today? Well, I'm I'm a big fan of a good ranch water. Okay. Uh, so it's like a tequila, soda water, sparkling water, and lime juice. Okay. So I'm pretty excited about this one. So it's, it's pretty delicious. basic then. It is. It's not, it's not super flavorful. It's just... Yes. Well, and I have learned that for me, like the alcohol sugar combination is can be a dangerous one. So okay. I really try and keep it to a minimum. So I like this because it's minimal sugar and it's like I can drink a few of them and not get in too much trouble and, and, not, and not be like messed up the next day. So, yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. I think that these are... I, I mean, I'm a fan of carbonated water in general, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so I think that these are just the alcoholic version of carbonated water. They are. They're like <laughs> basically, yeah. I, I feel like the whole like seltzer, like hard seltzer, has really mm-hmm. taken off, and I'm here for it. Oh yeah. I feel like all the like sparkling water, it really like has like just changed my life, and um, I'm like, oh, now it's alcoholic. Great, exactly. great. Like I am also, a, you know, the whole whole hard seltzer thing. I'm here for it. I'm here for that for that train. <laughs> Have you had these Sonic hard seltzers yet? No, they like have, Sonic Drive-Thru? The Sonic Drive-Thru hard seltzers. They, they have serve alcohol? F- not there, but like okay. a, if you give them okay. at a gas station, they're okay. Sonic brand. They're, they are Sonics. Whoa. And they have a blue, they have a hard blue ocean water. Ooh. Ooh. And it's amazing. Okay. It's the only one I've had, because they have a set of like eight of them. Okay. It's the only one I've had, but it's really good. Yeah, I actually went to a bar downtown recently and they made a drink that was basically like kind of like the, the blue, blue, ocean water. blue ocean water. And I was like, oh, this is good. <laughs> yeah, Pretty it's good. Pretty good. Mm-hmm. So what is your profession? What do you do? Yes. Yeah, so um, I lovingly call myself a professional pervert. Okay. And I, I've been doing that for a while. So um, I've been in the adult industry for about 13 years. Um, I started out writing, um, I, I guess I started out writing a sex column. I was a journalist before, so I did about journalism for many moons um, for about seven to 10 years before I got into the adult industry. And I kind of segued in by um, writing a sex column for the Daily Lobo. Mm-hmm. And as part of that, I met up and sort of joined forces with um, the folks at Self Serve Toys, and that's here in Albuquerque. Um, it's an independent sort of like um, health and education focused sex shop. Mm-hmm. So I connected with them as one of uh, a source for one of my columns, and then um, eventually I was like, "Wow, y'all are pretty rad!" Like I basically was like can I be a part of this? And they can were like, here? yeah, basically, well, I started out as a volunteer and then, and then eventually they were like, well, we do need a manager. And I was like, I have never managed a retail store before, but I will dive right in. Like sign me up. Like, yeah, sure. Why not? Mm-hmm. So then I started managing the retail store. Um, and I've been doing that. I did that for several years and now I technically am their uh, director of education and outreach. So I do a lot of classes and education because it's really all about, helping people just understand more about their bodies, sexuality, gender, um, pleasure, all these things that most of us don't get a lot of education about. So yeah, so that's kind of my, my title there now. Um, along the way, I also got involved in doing different kinds of sex work. So I started um, as a stripper and a dancer. I've been doing that for about five years. I did um, like content creation, like amateur porn stuff, mm. OnlyFans, that kind of thing. Um, and then I also have done um, phone sex, which is still a thing. Every time I tell people, they're like, what? That's still a yes. Phone <laughs> sex exists. is still a thing. Um, I did that with a really cool company that's here, uh, actually based in Albuquerque, called PEP, um, People Exchanging Power. And so I worked for them for about five years or maybe four or five years. Um, but then I realized that I was overworked. So I've sort of been scaling back a little bit. And now I'm just doing uh, dancing and self-serve. Okay, perfect. Yes. Out of all of this sex work that you have 
been a part of, mm-hmm. which one has been your favorite avenue? I assume probably the sex shop, right? Um, it's interesting. I mean, the sex shop is really rewarding because it's a very, well, I would say all of, like, all of sex work is oftentimes very people-centric. Mm-hmm. Um, you're talking to people, you're sharing intimate details about yourself, and they're sharing intimate details about themselves with you. Um, so the sex shop is really nice because it's this kind of thing where like I've had people who come in and they basically are like very scared or nervous to talk about whatever they are coming in to talk about. Mm -hmm. Um, and then like sometimes they come back like months later and they're like, this changed my life and like, I'm a much happier person now. So it's like when people can authentically connect with their sexuality, um, it can really like be life changing and it can actually like shift a lot of things for themselves that Mm -hmm. they didn't know they needed. So that's really rewarding and fulfilling work to be able to be a part of that. And like being like having people come in and say like, you changed my life. And I'm like, what? I just, I, just fucking sold you a dildo but okay like great i love that glad this dildo um, changed yeah, your life yeah i'm glad this dildo changed your life um so that's really sweet um i would say that uh dancing is really nice i'm i've always been a dancer like you know um like my mom knows what i do and she's like I joked, I was like, hey man, all those years of dance classes really paid off. And she's like, you have always been a dancer. And I was like, <laughs> I never really wanted to do it professionally. And then I had one of my coworkers at the sex shop. They were like, I think you'd be a good stripper. And I was like, mm, I'll try it. And then I realized that like dancing is really um, grounding and cathartic for me. And okay. it's, it's a really big part of like my self-care and like what helps me feel good in my body. And um just the, the physical component is really nice. Like I, I like being active and I like, I get, you know, it's an incredible workout. Um, <laughs> so like I'm getting really strong and like, that's great. Um, and then also similarly, like with the sex shop, like there are people who come in and who are really just needing some kind of connection with someone. Um, you know, there's people who are really like what, what, what we call in the industry, like skin hungry. So like they don't have physical touch often. And like mm-hmm. that as like, you know, social beings like that can be really challenging to exist and not get touched. So you need a hug. You need a hug every once in a while. So there's literally people who come in and they just want me to like sit there and like hold their hand and chat with them for a few songs. Um, so like, that's really sweet. I had somebody say they were like, they're like, this is like a public health service. Like getting a lap dance from you is like a public health service. And I was like, (laughs) that's like the best compliment I've ever received. Um, so that's really nice. Like be able to, feel like you're kind of making someone's day, you know, and you're giving them that kind of touch that maybe they really want and they can't mm-hmm. easily get, um, feels really good, you know? Um, so that, like that component, and it's funny cause I feel like I do, you know, like at the club, like I'm like, there's still elements of like my sex education job that I yeah. do. Like I will totally be like, one time I was like giving a couple lap dance and like we started talking about butt plugs and I was like, oh, well, do you know that like you can't put something in your butt unless it has a flared base because it might go into your butt and then you have to go get it surgically removed and it's expensive and embarrassing. And so like we spent this lap dance like talking about like the best butt plug and I was like, this is very silly. Like I can't <laughs> believe this is my life right now, but I love it. Um, so it's funny because there's definitely like a lot of overlap. Okay. Um, and then the other interesting thing is like at the sex shop, like that job is very non-sexy. Like we work really hard to make it not a sexual space. We don't want to sexualize ourselves as the employees. Mm -hmm. We don't want to sexualize customers. So like that job is interesting because you work really hard to not make it sexy, you know, and people will come in and will be like, Hey, and you're like, that's not okay here. That's not Mm. appropriate here. But like at the club, like, it is a very sexy you job. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. People come That's in and are literally like looking at you and you're supposed to be sexy. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that kind of balance of like one of these jobs is very sexy. One of them is very not sexy, but they all kind of do a lot of the same work in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would just say that they're, they're fulfilling in different ways, but, um, 
certainly I didn't know how much I would enjoy the uh the like physical work part of dancing Dancing. you know and and that that has really been really good for me and is uh really just has given me a lot of like tools to like help myself feel better when I'm having a bad day um and then also the ways that I've like been able to connect with people like the sex shop is amazing but it's also like there's a like a very specific yeah. kind of person who goes into a sex shop and especially a sex shop like self-serve mm. you know we're very health and education focused it's like very well lit and mm. nice and you kind of feel like you're walking into a boutique it's not going to be going to like a rent, a rent adult video where it's exactly, kind of slimy exactly and, whereas yeah. with the strip club like everybody walks in, not everybody but a lot of people yeah. walk into a strip club so you're going to get a, a wider variety of customers and patrons in the strip club than I do in this in the sex mm. shop so you know they're both amazing for different reasons, I would say, basically. It's hard to rank them, but um, certainly I do like the physical component of the work at Knockouts um, because it turns out like it feels good to move your body and do things yeah. that feel good. So I've really enjoyed that part quite a bit. So there's a social stigma with sex shops, right? Mm-hmm. If you go to um, like an Adam and Eve or mm-hmm. a um, Rent-A-Video, they are dim lit, dingy, you want to park your car in the back to make sure no one can tell that you're there type situation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How does self-serve overcome that? Because it sounds like it's it's, it's an inviting space and Mm -hmm. um, it seems like a normal storefront, honestly. Yeah, yeah. I would say that, you know, we overcome that when people walk in the door. Mm-hmm. Like oftentimes people don't know that we're not like that until they walk in. Yeah. Um, so one of the other ways that we do it is by doing a lot of work with um, community figures. So one of my jobs at self-serve is that I do our medical outreach program. Okay. So we work with healthcare providers and medical providers um, to help them be more sex positive and to help them more accurately and positively address their clients and their patients' um, sexuality needs. So this program kind of came about naturally where like, uh, providers would, would be coming into self-serve like for themselves personally mm-hmm. and they'd walk in and they'd be like whoa wait oh this is like totally different yeah. and like I could send patients here I would feel comfortable sending you know a 70 year old woman who you know hasn't received penetration in 20 years and now she has a boyfriend and she's really excited to do that but there's pain I could send her in here to get some lube and I wouldn't feel weird doing that. Okay. So, so when, when you have someone in a position of, of power, a position of authority telling you go to the it's shop. okay, yeah. go to the shop, you know, it's nice. It's well lit. The people who work there are very smart. Um, you know, they, they can answer your questions, right. Um, and they're, they're educated in that way. Um, so I think that's one of the ways that we overcome it that, um, you know, it's just, it's something that once people walk in, they're like, Oh, this is not what I was expecting. This is different than what I was expecting. Absolutely. So I think that's one of the ways, um, a lot of our, our health and education focus really targets that as well. So oftentimes people go into a sex shop, they're kind of like nervous and embarrassed and like, it's almost a little weird the yeah. first time going to a sex shop where you're like, I, you're like, are people is, judging me? I don't want my mom to know I'm here exactly, basically. Exactly. And, so, yeah. I mean, like I've, I've literally had people come in with their mom. They're like, I need my mom to know about this place. I'm going to bring her. I don't think she'll go. in if I don't bring her, you know? And so it's this thing where it's like, yeah, you can bring your mom in here and like, y'all don't have to shop together, but like, you don't have to buy anything today, but like you can tell your mom, this is a resource that she has. Right. Or you yeah. can tell your mom. And like, even like we've had parents come in who are like, I have a, a gender queer, gender nonconforming child. And I don't know what to do. I don't know how to support them. I don't know what words to use, what words not to use. Um, you know, we've had people come in they're like, uh, my teenager is masturbating and they're using my sex toys and I don't want them to do that. And we're like, yeah, fair, <laughs> totally reasonable. What, wow. How about you got something for them? Right. Like how yeah. about, and also like, I I don't want them to be using like household objects, right? Because that's a common thing that if kids are like, well, I got to keep it secret. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. So they're like, I would actually rather buy them 
actual sex toys that are not mine. So they're going to use those and not go use something weird and creepy or, you know, uh, there's no regulation in the sex toy industry. So it's common to find like plastic softeners in and sex toys that are illegal to use in baby and dog toys. So that's why sometimes you pull a sex toy out of a box and it like smells like a shower curtain. Um, that's oftentimes because it contains phthalates and phthalates are like known carcinogens. And if you're putting that inside your body, it can like, probably bad. yeah, probably not <laughs> the best. So, so we're really picky at self-serve. We try and make sure that everything that we carry is body safe okay. um, and is phthalate free. So there are some parents who come in they're like oh I found like a sketchy ass sex toy you know in my kids whatever sock drawer and I and I want them to have something better right yeah so those kinds of situations do happen and I think that's one of the ways and the places where self-serve really does a good job is that we're very health and education focused Mm -hmm. Um, and we recognize that like we need to meet people where they are and like not everybody you know not everybody is gonna want to you know it's like this idea of sex positivity being that like as long as you're being safe and consensual with yourself and your partners you can have as much or as little like sex and intimacy and pleasure in your life as you want um, and that means that like first people who are asexual like they they have a space there too right mm-hmm. and it's like you don't have to be having sex to come to this space right yeah. we have books about asexuality we have massage candles so that if sex is not your jam but like maybe you love getting a massage like you can still do that or maybe you want like date night ideas right so there's lots of things that self-serve that are not necessarily sex oriented um, but that do you know sort of revolve a little bit around it mm-hmm. um, and for people who are like eh, actually sex is not my jam like you're welcome to you know okay. like like it's really for everybody um, and we also actually just started a like lingerie and cozy wear shop as well next door. <laughs> so we have a bunch of really cool stuff for people to put on their bodies. We've got some like amazing like robes and like comfy PJs and some like sexy masculine underwear. And like we've got a bunch of stuff and that's really trying to be for everybody. Nice. That's super killer. And yeah. it's not just catering to one gender. It's not just catering to right. one uh, preference. It's, it's, it's ideally going to be for everybody. Yeah, it's inclusive. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's what it mm-hmm. is. It's inclusive. There's a large portion of people that will say what you're doing is wrong mm-hmm. because you shouldn't promote sex mm-hmm. because it needs, it's an abstinence culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you say to people who say that to you? I mean, I would say that like we all get to make our own choices. So mm-hmm. if sex is not something that you personally want to make as a choice for yourself or, you know, the people you're close to, like you can absolutely, like I empower you to make that decision for yourself. But the reality is that people have sex and that we're all here because of sex. So you can't like take out sex from the human experience mm-hmm. and that sex you know, sex is a quality of life issue. Like for most people, when they have sex that feels good for them, they are happier. And most of us are not always having sex that feels good for us because maybe we don't know how our body works or maybe, you know, we're secretly trans and we're like, oh, what? When I learned this about myself, like everything changed. Um, You know, maybe certain parts of our bodies don't work the way we want them to. So we need to find other ways to engage. So because we live in this very sex negative culture, there's all this um, sometimes subtle, sometimes not so subtle messaging that comes down and that makes us feel a lot of shame about who we are as people. Um, In reality, none of us are going to be like at that apex of privilege. Like none of us are always going to be able-bodied. Most of us will have some kind of disability at some point. Even if it's like a sprained ankle, it's still Exactly. And so there's, there's this idea that like only certain kinds of people can have sex and only certain kinds of people can be viewed as... Um, excuse me, like sexual beings and can be seen as attractive. So 
once you kind of break down that like, oh, like actually none of us are going to be that way all the time for the rest of our lives forever and for always. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, wait, hold on. Like, it's okay to have body hair. It's okay to not want to have sex. It's okay to be non-monogamous. It's okay to be monogamous. It's okay to pay (laughs) for sex, right? Like as long as everybody's consenting and as long as they're an adult, um, that people get to make those choices for themselves. So I would say that goes both ways. Like if you choose that you do not want to have sex and you want to be abstinent, that's great. Like I empower you to make that choice for yourself. But realistically, people have sex. (laughs) That's why we're all here, right? And so it's funny, like we used to go, um, the store owner, Mady, and I used to go to a breastfeeding conference and we would set up a table and we'd like table there and just let people know about the shop. And it's so funny that like some people would like give us a side eye of like, why is a sex shop here? And I'm like, do you know how babies are made? Like, <laughs> I'm just saying that, like, you turns have to have out, sex at yeah, least exactly. Once to be there's got to be some kind of thing <laughs> happening, you know, there's got to be some situation here. Um, and, like, that's why we're here, you know, yeah. is because, and, and also, like, for a lot of people, after they have babies, like, their desire changes and their body changes and their hormones change, and there's all this change that happens, and it's really kept, like, under, you know, mm-hmm. like it's, it, it, people push it down and it feels shameful. And then they come to a place like self-serve and they're like, oh, wait, it's normal <laughs> for me to like have a really hard time if my partner wants to play with my nipples and I've been breastfeeding, like, I don't want them touching my nipples, right? Yeah. Like those, hands yeah, hands off. Like I'm really <laughs> overstimulated in that area yeah. and it doesn't feel sexy to me anymore. And that's really normal that people, if they're breastfeeding, like need some time <laughs> that like nipple stuff is off the table, yeah. you know, and it can maybe be back on the table later, but like sometimes you just need to like not have your nipples touched. Yeah, give it a second. Exactly. Exactly. So, so there's, there's a lot of situations like that where people are like, Oh, I didn't know that this was a normal thing and the only reason like maybe like I started talking about it with like that one friend that Mm -hmm. I have who's like my sex friend right and then they sent me to self-serve right so it's kind of like this thing where most people feel shame about it most people aren't talking about it but most of us are also struggling with some element of our sexuality at some point in our lives sometimes it's really great and easy and then sometimes two years later you're like wow that thing that worked for me for 10 years isn't working for me anymore what does this mean about me? Am I, am I broken? Am I alone? And the answer is probably not. Mm-hmm. Um, we change as humans, our bodies change, our, our desires change. So it's really normal for that shift to happen. Um, and just being open to finding out and like, giving yourself permission to explore new options is kind of what self-serve is about. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. When teenagers mm-hmm. try to access these types of uh, literature, information, materials, and you know, sex toys. Mm-hmm. Yep. Do they have the access to that? Um, typically not. I mean, okay. so for self-serve, like we are a shop for people over the age of 18, um, mm. just because that's the law. Yes. But there are some really amazing resources for uh, young people and teenagers. Okay. Um, one of them is scarletteen.com. Um, and it's basically a sex education website that's like written by and for young people. Mm-hmm. Um, and the founder, Heather Corinna, has been doing this work and has been an educator for a long, long time. They have a bunch of different books out, um, but they've been doing Scarletteen um, for, for so many years. And it's, it's honestly one of the best resources like okay. I look stuff up there all the time. I'm like, oh, I don't know. And I'll go look. A lot um, of people would say it's dangerous to give teenagers mm-hmm. access to this type of information. Yeah. Would you agree? Disagree? Should there be limits? Yeah. So I think any information that you give to young people should be age appropriate. Right. Mm-hmm. So if I'm talking to, uh, you know, if I'm talking to a 12 year old, I'm who probably just started masturbating. Right. Exactly. Old, yeah. Exactly. It's really normal that like young people touch their bodies mm-hmm. and are exploring with pleasure and masturbation. I'm pretty sure kids, because I, I work with kids in my day job and I'm, from what I understand, kids as young as four or five years old, sometimes younger, can oh, yeah. discover themselves. Oh yeah. And I mean, there's like evidence of like, 
a fetus like touching their genitals in the womb and like I used to work at a daycare and you'd be like oh yeah babies get erections huh okay that's kind of weird like these things happen like sometimes you know you'll be like some people will say and believe that oh they're doing that because and then there's a stereotype that if a child is touching themselves it's because they're being sexually abused right and that's it's it's just that we have body parts our body parts respond to certain kinds of touch and oftentimes we're touching ourselves in a way that we don't even think of as like pleasure Mm -hmm. and like for a lot of people with vulvas like They'll be like, oh yeah, I wonder like if I wonder if that's why I had that pillow that I always use to put between my legs and like rub up on it. And I'm like, yeah, probably. Exactly. You know, or like you put your hands down there and you're just kind of whatever touching around. You're not intentionally masturbating. You're just doing something that kind of feels good. Yeah. Right. Um, so what I would say is that like definitely making things age appropriate. So the way I would talk about some issue having to do with sexuality with a 12 year old is going to be very different than how I would talk about it with a six year old and would be very different than how I would talk about it with a 14 year old. Um, but really it's never like one talk. It's like a series of conversations that starts at a young age. Typically people ask like, when is the right time to start? The right time to start is when someone's asking you a question, Yeah. right? So typically kids and young people will come to you and they'll ask you a question. It's going to be one of those questions that makes you squirm a little bit, like makes you nervous. And sometimes like you're watching a movie and something comes up and they're like, what is that? What what are they doing? (laughs) What is that right there? Yeah. What are they doing? I don't get it. Um, So like, that's a really good time to have a conversation. And you know, if you're talking to like a six-year-old, it might be like, oh yeah, like, you know, sometimes when people love each other a lot, like they have a really special moment together and, you know, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's something, uh, that's like special that like adults do. Um, and like, we know that people who aren't adults also have sex, but Mm -hmm. like maybe at that age, like you can, you can frame it in a way of like, it helps people feel good. It helps them feel connected. It helps build relationships. Um, and then as the 12 year old is asking that you can, you know, maybe say a little bit more in depth about, yeah, like sex is something that people do when they really care about each other. And uh, we want to make sure that everybody involved, you know, is wanting to be there and that there's communication. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, at the 16 year old, you might say like, oh yeah, they're having sex. It's really important that if you are going to be thinking about having sex, that you're, you're talking to, to yourself and your partner, that you're thinking about safety, um, you know, and that you're having these check-ins and like, Hey, do you want me to help you get on birth control? Like these are all conversations that are going to look different depending on the age. Um, additionally, I believe, and I could be a little bit fuzzy on the details, but I believe it was the world health organization, um, basically like published some sort of research or study that basically was like the earlier you start talking to kids about having sex, Mm. the longer they wait to have sex. So there's this idea that like if you start talking to them at a young age, they're going to start having sex younger. And that's actually not true. It's actually the opposite. Mm -hmm, That typically if you start talking to kids about sex at a younger age, and especially like depending on how you talk about it, but really letting people know like it's for fun, it's for pleasure, but there's also risk involved, you know, and there's, there's physical risk and there's emotional risk, right? So you can be really honest with them and say, Hey, there's some people who really think that, you know, young people are not not mature enough to have this kind of relationship. And that might be true. That might not be true. It might totally depend on the individual. Absolutely. Cause right? there's some people who are really mature at that young age and some people exactly. who are mature even as adults. Exactly. <laughs> right. There's, I'm like, there's some adults maybe who shouldn't be having sex. I'm just exactly. going to put that out there. So exactly. Yeah. I find that very interesting. Cause if we live in a, um, slowly shrinking, but still predominant, um, religious culture. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's getting to the point where people are trying to make it almost a theocracy, especially mm-hmm. if you look at the way, um, that, uh, Senate votes worked last, this mm-hmm. last week when they were codifying, uh, gay marriage and mm-hmm. birth control. Right. Um, yep. 
what do you do if a teenager is trying to explore sex, mm-hmm. trying to explore this about them, and their parents are underneath a um, a theocratical oppression like yeah like, yeah like if, you if, can't if have sex till you're married basically yeah i mean i would say that like you know find a an adult that you trust yeah um or you know maybe like sure there's online resources but like do you know how to vet those online resources sure you have friends but like are they well informed so i teenagers would say going to wikipedia exactly exactly yeah. so I, I would say ideally like there's maybe an adult in your life that you trust or like maybe there's a like maybe i think you know for me my mom was so funny she was like hey like i want to start talking to you about like sex and birth control and i was like uh-uh i'm gonna ask my doctor because like i had a really great yeah. pr- uh, provider and my mom was like fine <laughs> okay i mean i like your doctor she's my doctor too and like i trust her to give you good information right so like at that time i was like i can't do this conversation with you mom it's too embarrassing yeah. but she was like okay well i like sure if you're going to your doctor that's that's a trusted reliable source and i feel like she'll give you good information right so i feel like if if your parents or caregivers are not the people that you feel like you can trust um or who they're not going to have your back and they're not going to agree with you your decisions um finding a, a, a trusted adult in your life who will sort of give you the information that you need mm-hmm. to make smart choices should that child just obey the parents and just wait till marriage or wait till out of the house or is yeah that, is I, that the play i mean i think that you certainly that is an option you have um mm-hmm. i think sort of laying out all your options and and really seeing which one is best um you know i would say that typically you know that is uh of the teenagers that I have known, that is not tending to be their their happens, option. Ever. Uh, sometimes it is. Sometimes <laughs> it is. But typically, it's kind of like a, my parents don't want me to do this. Well, I don't care. I'm going to do it anyways. And then I'm going to do it in the car and then without I'm, a condom. Yeah, exactly. And then I'm going to yeah. do it in ways that are unsafe. So I would really say that it's actually the onus is on the parents in that moment to say, okay, I know that I don't believe in this and I know that this is not okay. For, like, I don't think this is okay, but I recognize that my teenager might do it anyways. So mm-hmm. what can I do? What, what harm reduction strategies can I take to make sure that the choices they're making are as safe as possible? Um, even though I don't agree with the choices they're making, I recognize they might do it anyways. And that's the same thing with like substance use, right? Yeah. There's a lot of topics where we're like, I don't think this is okay and I'm not okay with this. Yeah. But you might be doing it anyways. So whether or not I agree with it actually is irrelevant. Um, We're going to reduce harm. Exactly. Such as exactly. the uh, providing free needles, mm-hmm. clean needles. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Places to do drugs that, right. that, are, exactly. that are safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's literally just harm reduction, which is. is one of the tenets of, of medical professionals across exactly. the world. Exactly. <laughs> do as minimal yeah, harm exactly. as possible. Exactly. So I would say it's really on parents to sort of self-examine and to step back and say, okay, I don't like this. I don't like that you're doing this. I don't agree with this, but what can I do to make it safer? And what can Mm -hmm. I do to, and also like, how can I open up lines of communication? Because ideally I want you coming to me. I want you telling me like, Hey, I had a sexual interaction. It didn't feel good. I want you to know that sex should feel good. And that if it doesn't feel good and if someone's not listening to you and if they're doing things you don't want them to do, I want you to know that you can come to me and we can talk about what to do in that situation. Mm -hmm. Right. Because oftentimes what's happening is that like, Teenagers, young people are getting hurt um, emotionally, physically, you know, there's sexual assault and violence. And like same thing with like if you have adults and oftentimes this is the case is that adults are taking advantage of young people and are sexually assaulting them. And if your kids know, oh, I can't talk to my parents about any of that, they're not going to talk to you. And exactly. And so it's I I am firmly a believer that um, that sex education 
is a um, sexual assault prevention tool. It is. And that if we are talking to young people and everybody about sex from an early age, like we teach them how to say yes, but we also are teaching them how to say no. Mm -hmm. And then we're teaching them there's things that you can do if you are, if your boundaries are crossed. And there's places you can go and you can get support. Um, One of my best friends, her name is Jiminika Eborn, and she, her whole brand is called Trauma Queen. And it's all about like helping trauma survivors. (laughs) There you go. Because she's basically like, most of us are trauma survivors in some way. Like mm-hmm. we don't deal with it. And so she has like support groups and workbooks and a podcast. Um, and she's amazing. So it's like recognizing there are resources for if things happen to you, that's not okay. And if your kids know what is and isn't okay, because you've talked to them and you've kept those lines of communication open, then they're more likely to come to you when something goes wrong. Yeah. That's a hundred percent true. I like how you said that. Um, sex education is uh, assault prevention, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It's also pedophilia prevention. Yeah, it's absolutely. also abortion prevention. Mm-hmm. It is. I know. It's well, it's like, it, it's like, you can't like, yeah. you can't like take away access to abortion and take away access to like sex education and take away access to birth control. I'm like, mm-hmm. we need some combination of those things to yeah. like make this work. <laughs> to make it solid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things where even if you don't personally agree with sex outside of marriage mm-hmm. of, um, exploring yourself and doing anything but missionary it doesn't right. matter you other people need to in order for society to be safe even exactly. if that is a, a sin yeah right? no exactly like yeah. people are going to make other choices and even like you know we see pretty intense rates of like sexual assault in churches so i'm like y'all aren't even doing this like i'm sorry yeah. but like but like it is true that like even people who you know have are of a certain faith like everybody's everybody's doing things Mm -hmm. everybody's doing things they shouldn't be doing so instead of like being like this is bad and wrong let's actually like say like hey yeah how can how can we make it better and protect kids because how often does a religious organization i mean catholicism jehovah's witnesses Mm -hmm. mormonism yeah half a dozen different evangelical church the baptist church is currently Mm -hmm. southern baptist is currently under investigation for it of clergy trusted adults molesting children right and they're getting shuffled around exactly so yeah. it's, it's very scary. Yeah, no, it is. It is. So like, this is one of the tools we have to like make it less scary mm-hmm. and to like help people who have been hurt. Absolutely. Yeah. So there's a clear juxtaposition then between self-serve and this, this, this body positive, this sex positive industry that's inviting, welcoming. It's mm-hmm. people who don't go to strip clubs will go to self-serve, right? Yeah. I mean, I would say there's definitely some overlap. There's, there's, yeah, there's, there's certain there's people overlap. who do both, right? Yeah. But, but yeah, it, it is, it is a different clientele oftentimes as well. So with the, the, the strip club then, mm-hmm. Um, the stereotype is dingy, mm-hmm. nightlife, yeah. smoke, cigars, um, yeah. drinking. I mean, I'm not one to talk. We were just smoking <laughs> a cigar and drinking right now, right? I'm currently yeah, drinking. Yeah, right, exactly. But it, it has a, a stereotype of dingy. Mm-hmm. Does that stereotype hold up? What does a club do to break that stereotype? Do they ever, or is that stereotype beneficial? I mean, I would say that, that you know, again, it depends on the club. It depends on where you are. Um, there's lots of different regulations that exist, like across mm-hmm. different states. So it is very much dependent on where you are. Um, I've danced at a couple clubs here, excuse me, in Albuquerque. And I like Knockouts the best um, because it they, they treat their employees very well. Like Good. we have incredible, you know, we have people who've been working there for, Almost, I think the person who was working there the longest was almost working there for like 25 years. Wow. Nine, 10 years. A lot of the bartenders, a lot of the managers, a lot of the staff have been working there for a long time. So that's that, that's a good sign that you have good employee retention um, because we're treated well. Good. Um, and I'm glad. That's really good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's certainly not the case for a lot of strip clubs. Um, a lot of strip clubs have really terrible management and owners that are abusive and exploitative of the labor. Um, so that that, that stereotype is true in some ways. Um, but I would say that like, you know, 
that's that could be true of any bar, right? <laughs> like any bar can mistreat their employees. Any bar can be like dark, dingy, smoky, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, of course, the difference is that, you know, there's not tits and ass, right? Yeah. <laughs> so that's a thing. But, um, you know, I think it really just depends on the club and depends on the people who own it and how they how they think about their employees. And I feel really fortunate that like Knockouts has a pretty, pretty strong uh, leadership. And, um, you know, the people who are in charge there really do care about the people who work there. And it does feel... Um, like, you know, like I, I always get a little bit weird when people are like, our workplace is like a family, but it does kind of feel like, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, maybe we're like this beautiful dysfunctional family. And like, isn't that what most families are like anyways, you know, but I'm just like, they care about you, you yeah. know? And like, I was just there last night and one of the managers was like, oh, Hey, I haven't seen this person in a while. Like I'm going to text them and make sure they're okay. You know? Aww. And it's like stuff like that where I'm like, that's, that's sweet. really sweet. Like you, you're sweet. like, Hey, are you doing okay? Yeah. You know? And it's just like little things like that, where it definitely feels like people have your back and they care about you. Um, I always say that like, I actually feel safer in the strip club than I do just walking around because I know that if somebody does something to me or does something that's not okay, I can say like, Hey, bouncer, you know, management, whatever. And like that can be addressed. If I'm walking around downtown and someone gropes me, like it's up to me. Like I got to figure it out on my own. And even then getting police involved isn't necessarily going to work. No, exactly. Like Like, it's. Exactly. So, so it's like, I actually feel more empowered in a lot of ways, um, at the strip club to like, say like, okay, like I feel, you know, I feel safe here. If something goes wrong, I know that there's people who will help Mm -hmm. me, you know, will help me deal with the situation. So in a lot of ways, I actually feel safer at the strip club than I do just walking around downtown. And just Which is in, fair. In, in, because, in general, like yeah. not just downtown, but like in general in Albuquerque, if I'm just walking around by myself somewhere, or even with friends, like it, it can get kind of sketchy. It can get kind of sketchy. Yeah. So I'm just like, I actually feel a lot safer at work. And that's an interesting situation where I'm just like, you're at the strip club and you're like, I like this. this I is like good. this. Yeah. I'm like, they have my safe. back. Exactly. Which is interesting because when you, when you look at knockouts, I've mm-hmm. walked past it half mm-hmm. a dozen times. We always film at, at our walk, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's, it's a blacked out right, wall right, and it right. looks kind of like, in it. Uh-huh. which is probably a good thing. Yeah. yeah no free shows. <laughs> exactly. Make your money. Right. <laughs> yeah. But it, it, it's juxtaposed to that, that, that weird, like off putting look. And then you go mm-hmm. inside and as a worker, yeah. you find it amazing. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about some of the policies and regulations. Cause I have some friends who strip mm-hmm. and they talk about how it's very easy if you don't follow certain rules to catch a prostitution charge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are some of the more insane regulations you have to follow when working? I mean, so again, it depends a little bit on where you are okay. and, and which clubs you're dancing at. But like one of the things like here in Albuquerque and it might be Bernalillo County, I'm not totally sure, but is basically like you have to have a covering over your nipples, like pasties or liquid latex um, if you're serving alcohol. So okay. if there's alcohol at the bar, you have to have your nipples covered. Okay. Um, you have to wear like two pairs of underwear, um, you know, and then if you're not serving alcohol, like that's why uh, Fantasy World is a full nude club. So you yeah. can be fully naked there because they don't serve alcohol. Okay. So like that's kind of a weird one where I'm like... Like, wouldn't you figure what? that because like that just means younger kids can go to the full nude but mm-hmm. adults who want to drink have to go to the partial nude correct does the does the does the rule applying to nudity is that applicable when you're when you're stripping on, on like like dancing with throwing money when you're doing lap dances or is that rule just across the board? Yeah, so I mean, like, at, at Fantasy World, um, and it's been a few years since I've danced there, but I don't think it's changed. But, like, you can do full nude in lap dances. You can do full nude on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, you can pretty much do it anywhere, but, like, they're very, you know, it's like most clubs are really strict about touching, right? Yeah. So you have to make sure that, um, you know, people aren't touching the dancers, Um 
And there's oftentimes, again, depending on the club a little bit, there's rules on how dancers can touch customers. Um, so the nice thing is that like there's cameras in most strip clubs and Good. people are watching the cameras. Like if, like the peop- <laughs> if the people are doing their jobs, they're watching the cameras. And yeah. that's another thing I like about knockouts is that like I've had people come in to a lap dance and say like, hey, you can't touch her like that. Right. And I'm like, thank you. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I can say it, but sometimes they don't listen to me. Right. So it's nice to know that the bouncers are walking around. They're looking at the lap dance booth. People are watching the cameras. Um, so that's a common thing in strip clubs where you know you have somebody who's watching cameras to make mm-hmm. sure the people are following the rules um you know people will be asked to leave or will be escorted out if they're not following the rules people will be 86 so they can't come back <laughs> if they're not following the rules so um there's definitely there's definitely there are systems set up to really support the safety of like the regulations that are in place mm-hmm. and you know again depending on the club not like not all yeah. clubs follow those 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 a rules a good club will a good club will exactly and they'll make it really clear too mm-hmm. um there's like some ambiguity i think sometimes about like oh this is what it says in the rules but what do we actually practice you know yeah. so there's maybe that. this stripper is allowing one thing that they shouldn't sure. be and they mm-hmm. just can transfer to everybody else right right Absolutely. exactly yeah with that then if the so it sounds like knockouts as a whole, for the most part, um, follows all the regulations. Mm-hmm. It's a real invited workplace. Everyone's doing their job, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even then, is there anything problematic that occurs within the stripping scene? I mean, I would say it's there's always going to be problematic things, you know, in any kind of establishment. Same thing, like like with any kind of bar. Like sometimes people get really drunk, or they even come in really drunk, you mm-hmm. know. Um, so that's a thing where like sometimes someone will come in. And, you know, maybe they don't seem too drunk when they come in and then you serve them a drink or two and, and then you're like, whoa, <laughs> what is going on? You know, mm-hmm. so I think anytime you have alcohol involved, you're going to get situations like that. Um, you're going to get situations where someone thinks it's OK to act a certain way and they like start start a fight or something. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think I think one of the things is like anytime you're serving alcohol and even if you're not serving alcohol, people are still getting drunk before they come in. Like mm-hmm. that was one of the things about Fantasy World. I was like, oh, they don't serve alcohol here. I'm like, oh, but people are still very drunk like oh okay you're just probably in your car drinking or drinking beforehand so it's definitely one of those things where like because alcohol is involved there's just gonna be situations where it gets messy so um what i like about knockouts is that like they've been around for like i think almost 30 years so like they know how to handle shit right they Mm -hmm. know like when things come up this is what we do um you know i was really pleased to learn that like one of our one of our bouncers is also a nurse so like if someone gets hurt on the job there's like someone there there's likely gonna be someone there who's like hey let me let me check you out you know yeah um so i think just being prepared is a big thing because like stuff's gonna happen you know you're just gonna have situations that are like not great right mm-hmm. um that's just gonna be part of it so i think that just knowing that like you have a workplace that's prepared to handle stuff as it comes up um is really what what i'm looking for in a club to make sure that like i'm safe what type of person starts stripping because you as an individual have you know um I do, we're journalism. Mm-hmm, you had a mm-hmm, career. Mm-hmm. So what type of person starts stripping? Because there's a traditional like... Yeah, sort of a stereotype. stereotype. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I would say, you know, it, it ranges. So, you know, you have somebody you know, who might do it because they think it's going to be like good or easy money. Um, Mm. and it can be, it can also be really challenging and it can be not so good money too. Like depending on your personality, depending on your mental health, right? Some days you go in and you're like, I'm just not in a good place to do this. Like this is not the work for me. Um, you know, but certainly there's like people who think it's going to be that, like it's going to be a certain way. So they get into it and then they find out it's not that way. Um, you know, you have people who are supporting kids and they like the fact that their job can, um, keep them at home with their kids when they want to be at home. There's a certain amount of flexibility with dancing that you don't get in other jobs. Um, you know, as like, I would not be able to make 
you know, the kind of money that I make at knockouts in any other place without having an advanced degree. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of this interesting like equalizer where I'm like, oh, like I would have to go back to school and go into debt in order to go into a career field that does not allow me the flexibility and isn't as fun, quite honestly. Yeah. Like it's not as fun um, in order to make the amount of money that I can make at knockouts when I'm making good money. You know, I'm not always making good money. There's certainly days where it's not good, but overall, you know, I, I make better money doing that than I could pretty much anything else. What's a good day of money and what's a bad day of money at a strip club? Because when I think a good day of money, because I work, I work a nine to five for mm-hmm. Esque, nine to five s job, right? Mm-hmm. And so a good week for me is like seven hundred bucks take home. That's mm-hmm. a great, that's a fan, fucking fantastic week. Yeah. A bad week for me is like three hundred bucks. Yeah. So that boils down to like seventy five to maybe a hundred dollars a day. Mm-hmm. So what's a good day at a strip club and a bad day at a strip club? Yeah. So I would say it really depends a lot on the on the dancer. So okay. like I said, some people do really well selling lap dances. Some people do better. Um, you know, on stage, right? So that just kind of depends. Like, certainly when it's, you know, like that Friday, Saturday night club crowd, like you might do better on stage than you do on lap dances. Or maybe you're a super extroverted person and it's really easy for you to like go up to each person and say, hi, you want a lap dance? Hi, you want a lap dance? But for most people, they kind of get sick of doing that and it feels too challenging and you have to really deal with rejection like a lot. Mm -hmm. So you have to always deal with people being like, nope, 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 (laughs) nope. And you're just like, oh, okay, that gets hard. So it depends on the person. It depends on when you work. Um, It depends on the club. So there's certain clubs that are going to be really, they're more stage clubs or more lap dance clubs. Um, It depends on the time of the year. So like around tax season tends to be really good because people are getting their returns back. So like April's like the jam. Sure, it, can, it sure can be. It sure can <laughs> be. Um, summer is typically pretty good. Um, you know, so I, you know, I would say that like most, you know, it, it's, it's, it's all over the map. Okay. <laughs> Basically like sometimes you leave the club and you're like, I made $2, you know, like, like that, that has happened to people sometimes or they made like negative money. Right. Oh, um, shoot. Uh, but then sometimes you're like walking out with a couple hundred bucks. Um, sometimes you're walking out with a couple thousand bucks. Like it's that wide of a range. Okay. Um, and it really, like I said, it depends on your personality and what kind of dancing you like doing and what kind of dancing you find easy to do. Um, so it ad- averages out to a livable wage, if not mm-hmm. a more, um, lavish wage. Yeah. And, and I would, yeah. I would say, you know, for some people it's, livable for some people it's lavish I, okay. I really think it is it boils down a lot to the person who's doing it and their personality type it's um, almost like your your ability in customer service yeah absolutely it, it, it very much is a customer service it 100 is a customer so service if you're good industry. at customer service yeah. you'll get better money better mm-hmm. tips better more lap dances and i think too it's like your your energy around it like if you come in and you're having a bad day you're probably not going to make a lot of money because like people sense that you mm-hmm. know and if People you're it, it yeah exactly and if they're like oh you seem pissed off and annoyed and like you don't want to be here like that's not fun for me yeah why would i want to be here if you don't exactly be here? exactly so it's definitely like depends on how you're feeling and your mood so mm-hmm. i oftentimes will encourage newer dancers i'm like hey if you're having a bad day like can't like do you have the capacity do you have the, the financial stability to go home yeah, take a day and, and, and like if you don't that's okay be here anyways and do the best you can but like if you can take a day off because you're just not in the headspace for it like do it because you're gonna feel crappy being here you're probably not gonna make great money and then the customer is gonna be like that that person was kind of in a bum and rude like yeah. you know so it's just like it's kind of better for everybody if you can take days off when you need them and that's the nice part about like i said the flexibility of dancing is that you you know you're an independent contractor at least in new mexico you're you're an independent contractor, so you really get to decide, you know, am I going to work today or not? What time am I going to work? When do I go in? So there's a lot of flexibility that other jobs don't provide. So as an independent contractor, then you're hired on as a 1099 employee. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
how does that work in the grand scheme of taxes? Yeah. Because so, a lot of it's mm-hmm. probably cash that's under the table, but a good chunk of it you have to report. Yeah. So I always encourage dancers to report their, their money because one, like if you ever want to get a house or a credit card or Gotta a car or a loan, um, you know, you're, 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 you are going to need to have that information on your tax return. Um, some places will accept like a bank statement, um, but for the most part, you're going to want to have that information on your taxes. Um, and certainly not everybody follows those rules, but I think for the most part, people are really starting to get with that, that like, oh, it's good to, you know, track this money, deposit it, put it on so that I can have it on my taxes and so that they can have some kind of, um, you know, sort of mm-hmm. official report of their income. Yeah. It's definitely the smarter place, especially Uncle Sam will always get their penny. Mm-hmm. And if they don't, they'll ruin your life. Right. They'll exactly. absolutely ruin your life. Mm-hmm. So I, I find that a lot because, you know, being in the tattoo industry like myself, it's, you, you, you just got to pay taxes. Mm-hmm. It's it's something you can't avoid, right? It's death right. and taxes. You can't get rid of it. Yeah, no, exactly. It's be, it's be, it behooves of us yeah. to pay them. <laughs> no, exactly. And that's what I tell dancers is I'm like, as much as you can, like, put your money in a bank, save it, you know, don't just go on big spending sprees because you're going to be sad when, mm. when the money's slow and you're like, oh, I wish I would have you're saved, like, right? It. Like, you, the, the up and down is exactly what you have. Like, that will, like, you know that it's going to sometimes be great and sometimes it's going to be shit. So yeah. that's what you can count on. So you might as well, like, you prepare know, for prepare for it yeah. and give yourself a little bit of a cushion. That was last call. Um, did you want me to get you another one or do you want to keep working on that? I'm, I'm, I've, I've got a little bit left on okay, this one, cool, so I'll keep perfect. working on this I'm one. also Thank still you. working on mine. I know, it's really good. Yeah. Yeah, but it's I like, like when you're talking a lot, you know, mm. it's like, oh, right. I have a drink too. Oh yeah. I can, I can, I can drink. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. So working in the field, as long as you have, you probably have some great stories. <laughs> yes. Can I hear some? I would yes, love to hear some. Yes, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, it's one of those things where like, I never want to like make people feel like, you know, it's like, if people are like, what's the weirdest thing that's ever happened? And I'm like, oh, I mean. Well, you want to be se- like, because like kink is a thing. You want to be yeah, sex positive. There's exactly, nothing wrong with it. Exactly. So uh, I, different I would, strokes for different folks. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so, I mean, I think, you know, some of the things that are really interesting is like, um, you know, like sort of on the kink realm, uh, like people like to do weird things with their genitals and like sometimes having people come in and being like, I'm into cock and ball torture. Like, what can I do to like intentionally cause pain to my genitals and I'm like oh well okay like let's, let's do this absolutely let's figure safely. it out like yeah we're gonna do this safely so like <laughs> when I tell people like what sounding is there like I just see people's like eyes like go wait real, what's sounding? yeah so we're gonna go into it <laughs> um so sounding is basically where you have a typically it's like a stainless steel rod okay. that you insert into your urethra ah. <laughs> exactly that, that that's the common response unless you're into it and then you're like yeah ah. um and this can be for everybody like it doesn't it's not just it's not uh you know whether your genitals are more external internal internal um but yeah so basically it starts really small and mm. then you gradually get bigger um but like i've seen people do it and they're just like you know euphoric. you're euphoric yeah, they're, they're like, like this is for me this is amazing you know so that's a thing um like getting creative with like how people can torture their genitals is like a really interesting thing i i knew somebody once who like created his own cbt devices um so he like had like two panes of probably acrylic some, oh, something that they or other. Screw, oh, yeah, and, he, oh. and, and it, it's like you could see it happening, and he would just screw it together, and I was like, "Oh my god!" As someone, <laughs> as someone who considers themselves to yeah. be a relatively kinky motherfucker, yeah, that's a You're little like that's too far <laughs> for me, right? For you, I, again, exactly. But that's a different strokes, different folks kind of situation. Mm-hmm. As long as yeah, 
It is between consenting adults. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Doesn't matter the kind of adult or how many consenting adults. Yeah, exactly. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. Whatever. Yeah. No. So right. that I mean, that's people get really creative in the ways mm-hmm. that they can do, like you know, genital torture, which I think is kind of fun. Um, <laughs> there. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think one of the other cool things is like my work functions are typically pretty fun. Like I'll go to a conference and it's like, there's probably like an orgy or two happening after this day's plenary sessions. Right. So yeah, it's like, you know, you'll like go and do the whole like conference thing. And then you're like, Oh, are you going to so-and-so sex party tonight? Or are you going to the one tomorrow night? You know, and not everybody does this. So it's not like everybody's yeah. fucking, but it's like, but it's an option if you want to go It's an option fuck. if you want to. Right. <laughs> and it's fun too. Cause like, I think that people have a big misconception about sex parties where they think like, Oh, you go and you have to participate and everybody's having sex with everybody. And it's like, no, like I like to go to orgies and like eat some snacks and like watch my friends get fucked. And I'm like, hey, good job. I love you. It's more or less just like the exhibition of it. <laughs> yeah, than that exactly. Because like, exactly. I don't think I'd want to, me and my wife are pretty monogamous. Yeah. I don't see us in the future not being monogamous. Right. You never right, know. Right, right. But I would almost want to see the exhibitionism mm-hmm. of it. That really well, interests me. And so me. that's the thing. Like some people really like to show off. Some people like yeah. to watch. And so I always encourage people. I'm like, if you're going to a sex party for the first time, go and just watch and yeah, bring a friend with you. Yeah, yeah. Don't participate. So you're comfortable. You have someone mm-hmm. to chat with and, and you know what to safe. expect. And then yeah. if you do want to go back and you want to participate, you have an idea of what, of how, how, what that might look like. Um, you know, certainly there are some sex parties that have like really bad boundaries and really bad rules. And I've been to parties where people just think they can touch or grab touch you because you're in a certain place. And it's, this thing where I've like had to tell somebody like no don't touch me like that no don't touch me like that no don't touch me like that and then they don't listen to me but they'll like listen to a more masculine person that I'm with and I'm just like that's unfortunate fuck you basically yeah (laughs) that's like like, really like yeah no exactly so I'm just like so that's annoying so I always tell people like if you are going out to parties like ask about the rules ask about what are your rules are they Mm. posted somewhere so that people walking in know that there are rules what happens if someone breaks the rule yeah what happens if the party's the organizer's best friend breaks the rule are the rules different for their friends than for people attending because i've seen that happen a lot which is not which is not great (laughs) so it's like unfortunately it's not just like we go to sex parties that's so much fun and like it can be like that and if that's your experience that's great for you but like not this case for everybody Um, absolutely so yeah, work functions are very fun typically in this industry. Um, <laughs> what does it look like in the strip club? Have you have any uh, funny experiences? I'm not, I don't want to say like traumatic experiences, but like things that make you laugh. Like you look back and you're like, oh, that was a time. That's hilarious. Yeah, I mean, certainly there are funny things. I think honestly, one of the experiences that really sticks out the most is literally the person who came in and he was like, I've never had a girlfriend. I've never kissed somebody. I've never held somebody's hand. And he, he was like, I don't even want to lap dance. Can I just like sit here with you and we can hold hands for a few songs? And I was Aww. like, yes, we can. I would love to just sit here and hold your hand and like talk to you. And like, that's what he wanted. And he was like emotional and like crying a little bit. And I was like, this is like, this is my life's work. This is is what I want to do. Poor guy. Yeah. And then like I've had like I've had people who come in and I'm like, oh, like we get to talking or whatever. And like I'm like, I'm like, oh, like it sounds like you might be trans. And like we have this whole conversation about like, hey, like you can come to me. We can talk about things. And like even if you're not ready to live that life for yourself yet mm. or like identify and, and call yourself that, like just from an outside experience and someone who has a lot of trans and non-binary friends, like this is kind of what I'm, what I'm getting from you, you know? And it's so like having the experience of just being a place for someone to come and like let things out that they don't normally get to let out. Like that's really sweet to me. There's a difference between who you believe yourself to be and who you feel you are and then who you present as. Mm -hmm. Like me and my wife being married for as long as we have, I came out as gay to her long last time ago. Mm -hmm. And it's just a part of our marriage now. And right. she's the one woman that I would ever be with. Right. She's also figuring out her own non, non-binary mm-hmm. issues. Right. But then it's very, 
female presenting, mm -hmm. right? Right. And so how you are figuring out your life, your sexuality, your orientation, how you feel is different from how you present or how you choose to, to be. And I mm -hmm. think that's important for people to understand. Absolutely. So, I agree. Um, I really appreciate you coming in the bar today. This yes. was an excellent conversation. Um, is there anything like a, one more thing you'd like to say anything at all or, um, yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm just excited to be able to share stuff. You know, I encourage people to check out self-serve, um, we're online. If you're not in Albuquerque, selfservetoys.com. Mm. If you're in Albuquerque, come visit our shop. Um, and also just encouraging people like to be where you're at. Like you have permission to be where you're at. Cool. And, um, yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Well, thank you. Well, I appreciate you coming to the bar. Yes. Um, yeah, high five. It. I love Ooh, it. High five. <laughs> Thank you. Cool. Yeah, absolutely.